¿Qué pasó, cochinos ensucias? I'm Nevado Gallo. Welcome to another episode of Sucias Are My Favorite. Today we're going to talk about, well, we, I, I'm going to talk about medicine, uh, Eastern, Western, and medicinal, wait, herbal medicine, sorry. And this is more in light of the fact of 420. So I do partake of cannabis, but not in the way most people do. Okay. In any case, I have a new lens that I am in love with. Like, I'll just sit here and look at myself. I'm just so pretty. So pretty. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. So medicine. Uh, I'm a big guy. I'm six feet tall. I'm 32 inches wide at the shoulders. So I come off as more imposing than I actually am. Most people don't believe me when I say I'm six feet. Most assume that I'm about six one, six two, six three. in some instances, just depending on who sees me or how short they are, I guess. But <clears throat> that always been this way since I was a kid. And as a kid, of course, I didn't know anything about genetics. I didn't even realize what genetics were until I was high school, I think. It, it didn't sink in. The point is, on the block that I grew up on, when I first moved to that street, there were bigger kids. There were teenagers. But to a five-year-old, six-year-old, teenagers are just big kids, right? Uh, they graduated or left the street, went to college, whatever, uh, by the time I was seven or eight. So at that point, me, Kyle and Amanda were the big kids. Um, and we were only about a year and a half to four years older than the rest of the kids. But usually within a year with all the other kids that were about the same age were about the same size. Kyle was as tall as me, but he was really, really skinny. Um, my arm was about as thick or thicker than his thigh and leg, his calf. So he was, he was very scrawny, very tiny. Uh, Amanda was just an average height girl. And then their siblings or Amanda's siblings and some other friends on the street, they were a couple months to, well, seven or eight months younger than us to, like I said, almost three, four years younger. Uh, so these kids were just very petite. Like they didn't look their age. I was always mistaken for being a year or two older than I was. So whatever age I was, people would think, oh, you're a year or two older. For example, there was a McDonald's that had opened up or reopened. They had a, they went from the old style, uh, playground that they had. It was like mulch. Everything was metal. Um, just the old style stuff that you, you'd have to be a Gen X to remember or look for pictures online. They changed it not to the play place or play palace that it is now. It was like an interim thing that they had. So it was still an outdoor uh, playground, but it was like AstroTurf, ball pit, but really small. And it had a sign that says, you must be shorter than this tire. Are you no higher than this? But there was a height limit to go in. And at eight or nine, because it was 12 years or this height, whatever the height was. And at eight, I was just a fraction of an inch shy of that height without socks. Uh, so the other kids on my street, they were always sick. You know, they, they would come out and play, you know, all summer long throughout the school year, play outside till the site, play outside until the street lights came on. And the, um, more often than not, one or two kids would always be at home sick. They'd have something going on with them. And somehow it kind of just filtered in that these kids, they were taking medicine, they were taking vitamins, they were taking, you know, supplements, all this stuff to help them grow and help them not be sick. 
for some reason, as a child, that cemented in my mind that medicine is weakness. If you need medicine, if you need medicine, you need it because you're weak. So the only time I recall as a kid needing medicine was, I think it was Benadryl. It was um, pink lotion or whatever for chickenpox that I had. So that was third or fourth grade that I caught chickenpox. Um, what else? Yeah, that was the only time I had medicine then. In the army, I got pneumonia. And at that point, I still had that mindset, or I still haven't changed that mindset. Like it's slowly changing the mindset of needing pills, needing medicine, making you weak. And I associate that a lot with, of course, Western medicine, because Western medicine are, you know, pre-manufactured pills, big pharma and whatnot. So in the army, uh, we were doing DNC ceremony, DNC training, and um, the we had kind of like a competition that whoever was the first person to make a mistake would be pulled out. Every person that made a mistake during a drill and ceremony would get pulled out and the last man standing would win. I forgot what it was like extra time on the phone or a dessert or whatever it was, but it was my goal to win that for my platoon or for myself. And it was pouring rain. Everybody was just falling out every few, in the beginning, there was a lot of people that fell out. And then towards the end, so drill and ceremony is all the stuff of like left face, right face, uh, half right face, side straddle hop, or the, sorry, um, I kind of call them shoot. Um, but there's a, there's a march where you would uh, sidestep to the yeah, sidestep to the right, sidestep to the left. So you're stepping sideways in cadence or on a beat, um, that kind of stuff. So doing that in the pouring rain in October, no, it was November by that point. In November in Missouri, Fort Leonard, Fort Lost in the Wind, Missouri, that got me sick. I caught pneumonia, got hospitalized for like a day or two. And I hurried and lied and said that I was well to get out. Otherwise you get recycled. So basically if you're, if you miss too many days during basic, then they would send you back and start all over. So you wouldn't just get to start all over from day one, the next day, you'd have to wait till the next cycle was available and had a slot for you to start. So we had a couple of those guys in our platoon, like they'd fuck it up or they broke their their foot or had a stress fracture or whatever. So then they were kind of like doing stuff in the background for us. They'd pull our weapons. They'd do random stuff in the background that helped our platoon during basic training, um, coordinating our laundry and whatever. So I didn't want to end up being those guys, the recycles. And then it could be two weeks. It could be three months before you get to start over. So that was like a big fear. I didn't want to get stuck because if you get recycled, then that also changes your MOS, your job in the military. And not that it changes it, but just you lose your spot for your class. So if you don't finish in time, then you can get put into wherever the army wants you to be at. So dealt with pneumonia. That was the second time I got sick. And the last time I got sick was uh, a couple of weeks ago when I got, or no, a couple months ago, when I had a friend come in. Uh, if you go back, it's the one that I had Jordan or the squid or two squids on my podcast. That podcast, he was here in person he had COVID. He didn't know he had it. I caught it, was sick for a day and a half, uh, or just had sniffles and a cough, and then had sniffles for like a week. So getting sick to me is just like a sign of weakness. And that's just a mental thing I need to work on, get through, get over with. Sorry, it is hot in the um, studio to get these lights all nice and pretty and bright. And because 
This is a garage that's uninsulated. It's very fucking hot in here. So I'm breaking a sweat in. I'm about to get an AC soon. Where was I? This is why I need a co-host or, or a producer to like remind me, hey, this is what you're talking about. That's kind of the cementing or the affirmation in my mind of medicine, sickness, weakness, whatnot. So much so that even when I broke my hip or separated my hip uh, back in 2016, between 2013 and 2017, but I think it was 15 or 16, but I broke my hip, separated it, and had reconstructive surgery, got put back together. I have a bolt that goes through my hip into my spine or sacrum, sacrum or coccyx, tailbone, whatever. Um, and I was issued or I was uh, prescribed oxycotton or oxytocin, but it was uh, 25 milligrams. So it was just shy for my size, height, weight, um, for the pain levels that I was going through. I had two uh, refills on top of that. So I had, I think, 90 total that I would have been able to get. But I only used three uh, of those pills because even through my pain, I did not want to uh, numb the pain because that would be me being weak. But at the same time, I also know or understood that opiates are highly addictive. And I did not want to get addicted to opiates considering that I am a sex addict. I didn't want to risk it that I could also be chemically dependent on something. Yeah. So got sick or broke my hip, didn't take drugs then. And growing up in Texas, conservative state, especially in the 80s and 90s, marijuana is the devil's lettuce. And if you take marijuana, you're going to get hooked on crack cocaine. And you're going to be selling your ass on the street. That was the last thing I wanted to do. And also, I had promised my mom before she passed away that one of the three, one of the three promises I made to her was to not use drugs. She didn't say anything about selling them. But back then, there really wasn't much profit in drugs, or at least not in uh, marijuana. Coke, sure. But um, I was only selling about an ounce a week. So I was getting maybe 20 to $40 profit in middle school. Yeah, it was middle school. And I got scared out of selling it after about a month or two. This one kid, he got caught and snitched and basically said, hey, I'm buying it from this guy. Luckily for me, um, I was an honor roll. I was that, I was that student that never had to study because I just had a good memory. So back then, not now. And so taking tests was just a breeze and I was just an honor roll because I just had a good memory, not because I was good at studying or that I was good at anything else. I was just good at retaining information or recalling information. Um, so they didn't believe that I was selling drugs, but they do, they knew I was kind of a heathen because I would skip class to make out with girls and but I would still keep my grades. So I had great grades, A's, maybe a B, but mostly A's and poor attendance because I would skip so much. Um, but in any case, the guy that snitched on me, I found out, I don't know, at some point I had heard that he was going to get sent to juvie until he was 18. I was 12 at the time. So I did not want to spend six years in juvie for a little bit of weed. What I realized later is that he was 16, almost 17 at the time. He'd failed so many times um, that he was almost going to get, like, no matter what he did that school year, they were going to kick him out because um, at the time, or at least this is what I'm recalling, the school district had a rule that you could only fail a class one time. So if you failed it twice, you would automatically get pushed to the next grade because you would be too old to be in that grade. 
So I think that's what happened. He failed six, he failed seventh, he failed eighth. So that was his second time per or second time in eighth grade. So they're going to push him out. And whatever it was, it just still scared me. The idea of being locked up for six years. <sighs> what else? So that scared me. And that's when I, I think that's when I got into video games, selling and trading video games. And somewhere in there, around the same time, I started selling porn, VHS tapes. But the annoying part is not knowing who your friends really are. Because at the time I had at least a hundred to $200 on me at all times, usually like 100, 125. So all these friends wanted, Hey, you know, let's have some lunch and you know, oh, I don't have enough money. Why don't you buy the nachos and we'll share them and this, that, and the other. So that always put me off to making friends. So I was always keeping people at arm's length, but mm, good or decent at making new friends, making new acquaintances in different groups. So we have that. So Eastern or sorry, Western medicine was just like out of the picture for me. Eastern medicine, I learned later as an adult that most Eastern medicines are some type of powder or ground up herb or plant or something that's natural. It's just ground up or dried out and either taken by the spoonful, taken into a capsule or mixed into a tea. And with those things in mind, I also understood or learned that most herbs or the herbs of Eastern medicine, or even just um, herbal medicine in, in Latin America and stuff, they take care of the issue that you have. The worst case scenario with that is maybe you get a little flush, maybe you get diarrhea if you take too much of it. But for the most part, it's going to treat the ailment and that's it. Or it might treat like two or three things, like it'll treat a migraine, it'll treat um, an upset stomach. So it'll be like two things, but either it'll still take care of the one or the other, whichever your, your issue is. I was leaning more towards teas and Eastern medicine and trial, not trial and error, but um, trying them out if ever I had any type of ailment, which was kind of rare versus Western medicine, where you'll see on commercials more often than not, like, Hey, ask your doctor if such and such is good for you. Side effects may include vomiting, diarrhea, rectal bleeding, and all kinds of crazy shit, seizures. And then you take this pill to deal with an ulcer. You got to take another pill to not have any rectal bleeding, another pill so you don't get epilepsy, another pill for something else. And you're taking more pills to deal with the side effects of previous pills that the first one really shouldn't have to be a problem for. Like you should only take one pill for your problem, I think. But Western medicine isn't that advanced in that way, I guess you could say, or I would say. The whole issue with, with taking a smorgasbord of pills, if you forget to take one, or if you run out of another, or you take too many of one particular pill because you're not paying attention, or you know you're, the times of days vary because sometimes you got to take one with the meal, sometimes you got to take four, you know, four different times a day, just before dinner, just before going to sleep, whatever. There's all these rules that you got to pay attention to. If you forget or mix something up, You'll, you could possibly cause more problems. You could probably not have your original issue taken care of. So that's another thing that turns me off about Western medicine in general. So growing up with weed being bad, being the devil's lettuce, being the gateway drug to doing everything else, um, just kind of kept me kept me at arm's length. It's just, okay, friends smoke it, whatever. I recognize the smell. 
you know, no big deal. It's not, okay, if I get secondhand smoke, it's not like I'm actually going to get high off of that, at least not in a full, in a full house of people just smoking on a patio or whatever. So when I got the opportunity to move out to Reno for working with Tesla, um, at the time when I moved here, Nevada was just a medical marijuana state. And while I was here, it became a recreational state. At the same time, California is just 30, 40 minutes away from here. So if I, well, sorry, California is only 30 minutes away, but dispensary is probably about an hour. The nearest California dispensary is about an hour away. So while being here, always being in constant pain because of my hip, uh, I was reading up and learning more about cannabis, just trying like, okay, maybe I'll give it a try because supposedly cannabis can deal with, help you deal with pain, particularly CBD, uh, CBD strains. And there's also variants of CBA, CBG, CBN that deal with specific um, issues, dealing with anxiety, with pain, helping you sleep. So I learned enough to know, okay, these are the strains that I should look for, or these are the letters I need to look for in edibles. Um, and I'd always been turned off from smoking because when I was 11 or 12, my mom caught me smoking. And my punishment was I had to smoke a carton of Marlboro Reds. No food, no water until I was done. Neighbor's turning his motorcycle on, so I'm about to be quiet for a little bit, so... Okay, but he's probably going to try to... Yeah, started it back up. So just give me a minute. Just have a little patience. I can hear it. And I'm seeing on my meters that there is some background rumble. So this is going to get cut out of the podcast, or maybe I'll just leave it in. I'll probably be lazy today and just let it run, but... I think he's just warming it up. Hopefully he takes off, gets the fuck out of here. Hang on, I'll be right back. I'm gonna just go peek and see what he's doing. Okay, he is gonna try to leave. There we go. Taking off. Okay, that should work. Car. Okay, sorry about that. I need to, well, I should do a Patreon or maybe a, a crowdfunder so I can crowd, grow, go fund me, Kickstarter, whatever, but save up money for an actual studio or do better uh, soundproofing in here, but it'll be tough because it's a garage. It's, anyways, uh, where was I? See, oh. See, this is why I need a fucking producer. Eastern medicine, cannabis. Oh yeah. So doing research, learning about it because, um, a lot of my coworkers and new friends I would make when I was going out and about, you know, they tried to offer me weed just because it was so, you can be in a bar and someone you just meet either offer you a bump or offer you a hit off of their vape. So again, always been adverse to drugs in general, legal and illegal. And after learning about all the uh, 
pain management issues or pain management qualities of cannabis. I decided to go ahead and give it a try. And it was amazing. I finally was able to get decent night's sleep. And doing more investigating, more learning in that, you know, most herbal medicines have been taken out of, what's the word? Um, repressed by colonization by the imperial system of Britain and as well as just the American justice system, just all justice systems in general, in that defining that X, Y, and Z is bad for whatever reason. Um, I do recall the, the Stamp Act, or at least when I was doing the research, I learned about the Stamp Act that basically made marijuana illegal, even though the United States has a patent on CBD, cannabinoids, and THC, um, which why would you make a patent on something that's illegal? Whatever. Uh, so dealing with pain, even now I still see it as a weakness, even though it does help me, help me alleviate my pain. It helps me be able to get to sleep because mm, you can't really tell. So yeah, you can see some darkness here under my eyes. And that's with a really bright light shining on me. Without the light on, it is a lot darker than it seems. And that's from lack of sleep. Um, it's not lack of potassium because I eat plenty of fucking bananas and um, tried remedying that, that remedying the eye issue that way. And it just doesn't matter. It's just lack of sleep. Usually I average, or before CBD, I was averaging about two to five hours of sleep per week. I'd sleep 30 minutes, an hour and a half, every 24 to 30 hours. Like I, I wouldn't, I couldn't sleep a full night. Um, even now with CBD and CBN, CBN helps me fall asleep, but it doesn't really keep me asleep. Um, I've tried combinations like Benadryl, Ambien, uh, Lunesta. Um, and not that it really affects my work, but co-workers and my boss would see it. So they would send me to, Hey, go see a doctor, tell them my issues. And they try to, or they prescribed me Lunesta and Ambien. Yeah. Ambien to help me go to sleep. And they, they did help me feel, help me go to sleep, but it was a weird drunkenness feeling that I just didn't like, um, or loopy, I guess is a word. So I just really stick with CBD or edibles for cannabis to help me go to sleep, help me stay asleep. And realizing that what the government says and what is real or what is true are distinct. The government can say that X, Y, and Z is bad. And for whatever political reasons, lobbyists, whatnot, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But having to deal with that and realizing that the government is always is not always doing what's in your best interest. It's doing what's in the best interest of who's paying them the most, who's the who's the greater lobbyist, doing the best interest for the lobbyist or for the squeaky wheel. If there is a Karen that happens to go and complain to her congressman or her senator with enough frequency, he'll probably do something about it. But for the most part, politicians only pay attention to lobbyists or the media, depending on how much pressure they get in one way or another. So realizing mm, what the government says, particularly about medicine, can't always be true. You know, for like fentanyl and opioids, those are drugs that just shouldn't exist. 
not in, in or at least not in the in the form they are. There should be something to not allow for um, prevent or not allow dependency, and for the potency that they are that can cause overdoses, cause people to die accidentally, and that another issue. I had, I had okay. So the whole reason for this podcast is I took mushrooms on 420, which yeah, why take mushrooms on 420 when it's the cannabis day? But um, I've never really done or had any effects towards me from doing mushrooms because every time I was offered mushrooms, someone would tell me, oh yeah, be careful because I've had a bad trip or had a bad experience. And so I was always, I was always worried about having a bad trip, especially my first one, and then turning me off of uh, mushrooms altogether because it's just a dried out herb or a dried out um, herbal, not herb, damn it, fungus. But it's naturally growing. It's naturally occurring. It's not like something that was manufactured in a lab. Always worried about, or always being cautious about it. So I always take a part, a small piece of a cap and never really feel anything other than sometimes an upset stomach, but not really getting any effects of it, not no um, psychedelic effects. So I finally found some uh, chocolates made through wherever, a lab, sold the dispensaries in California. So I gave it a try. Did a microdose, didn't really feel anything. So I doubled the microdose and got to a place to where actually I felt it. So now I, I had a lot of mm, ideas and concepts just kind of like flood my mind and was able to write a lot of them out or at least um, the outline or the general idea of an episode, like an outline or an idea for the episode, which this one, I thought it would be easier because I, okay, I have cannabis in mind, all the stuff that I've done with it. And I felt like at the time I had so much more to say in my mind and now it's not coming back. So maybe I need to do an episode while on mushrooms. That might not be fun, but who knows? I think our, our biggest issue with cannabis is of course boomers who were raised with the same idea that cannabis is the devil's lettuce. You're going to end up being hooked on cocaine or meth or heroin or whatever, if you start using uh, marijuana. And then even some, let's see, boomers. Yeah, because Gen Xers were either hippies or not, you know, potheads. So it's difficult because it's hard to get through. The older someone is, the more difficult it is to get them to change their mind or even just meet you in the middle and not, not necessarily compromise, but to hear you out. More so now with, with social media and like Facebook where five, 10 years ago, I recall that some of my friends, we could have political discussions. Um, some of us are right wing or right leaning, left leaning. Um, I think of myself as more of a centrist. Um, and we could have discussions and like, okay, I see your point or, you know, no, 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 you're wrong because you know, this or that fact or the other. And someone would kind of, uh, one of us or some of us would kind of like, okay, I see your point. You know what? Maybe you do have a point. Maybe I should give that a try, you know, but at least we were more willing to accept or try or concede that someone else has a point. Whereas now it's more of, if you are, if you don't believe the same thing I do, you are wrong and you're no longer my friend. I've seen a lot of posts about, um, you know, if you voted for so-and-so, you go ahead and unfriend me. Or if you didn't vote for so-and-so, just go ahead and unfriend me because, you know, clearly you're stupid and we can't be friends. And that is a very, very slippery slope. And at the same time, 
it will just, it polarizes us more and we lose focus or lose, um, lose track of the point of the common ground of us being human. And while we're over here bickering with each other, we're missing out on what the government is trying to sneak past us and do behind our back without our knowledge. And of course, yeah, that you could say that that's more of a conspiracy theory. And now that, not that I'm older, but now that I pay more attention to a broader spectrum, broader spectrum of things, I realize that was a very short ride. Hmm. Being more, I guess, open-minded or more open to ideas is that we're going to be in trouble in, in the next five or 10 years. Um, and that is one of the main reasons I have for this podcast is to just get everybody to realize, Hey, we're all human. We're all, for, we can all be friends. We don't have to agree on everything. We don't have to be um, like a Stepford wife and just be like robots and chime in as we're supposed to. We can be, individuals and yet still have love for one another for that basis of being human because without that what's the point of civilization you know the, the being civilized having a civilization being advanced quote unquote is that we should be able to work in harmony live in harmony and i think indigenous peoples and families that live in a multi-generational home have more peace and harmony in their lives than the average civilized person because we construct our own mores and our own ideas and our own uh, laws and structures uh, based more on, not even for the good of the society, it's just more of reactionary to problems and issues that we have now that can hurt. Well, one, one that sticks out is the whole crack cocaine, um, not epidemic. Well, I mean, it was an epidemic, but, and so the, the reaction by lawmakers was, okay, if you have more than X amount, you're clearly a drug dealer. And now you're going to do 25 years or life in prison. And for the most part, I think a lot of drug dealers that dealt with crack cocaine or dealt, sold crack cocaine, they're now out of prison or they've died off. I think there's very few that are still in prison from original uh, sentencing from back in the 80s. Whereas instead of making it a law to deal with the dealers, we should take a page from European countries that see it more as a medical issue or legalizing drugs across the board and providing safe, healthy ways for people to partake. And at the same time, teach them or try to get them to uh, cease their addiction, like put them in through programs. I forget, it's one of the Nordic countries that have free reign, all drugs, whatever. If you want to take meth or heroin, methadone clinics to help you get clean, you get clean needles, versus the stigma of a drug user here in the US. They're seen as less than human. They are criminalized for whatever their actions are. And it doesn't help them. It doesn't get them out of the cycle because instead of treating the problem and treating the addiction, you're just throwing them in jail, forcing them into a withdrawal. And then now while in prison, they have a 1200% markup, a 12 times markup. So a gram of weed out in the real world, 
say if you get it on the street, you can get it for 10 bucks. You go to a dispensary, $8, or you can get it on sale, or you can get it, you can get a gram. Sometimes it's a freebie for spending $100. But for the most part, call it $10 for a gram of weed on the street. In prison, you're paying $100 or more for one single gram. Yeah, I get it that you have to sneak it in and all this other stuff and pay bribes so that um, the guards don't, or just look the other way. They're still not treating the issue. That person still has that addiction. When they go out, the first thing they want to do is get a good, real fix, a good hit. Not that anybody I know has a marijuana problem where it's an addiction. It's usually just recreational, relaxing, whatnot. And I prefer the high of marijuana to the drunkenness or buzz feeling from alcohol. Um, I quit drinking alcohol several years ago just because I got tired of paying for headaches. Like I was paying or putting down payments or layaway plan for a headache that I was going to get in the morning, dehydration and being sick. Or not sick, just nauseated. In any case, this didn't go the way I planned for it to. Or at least I had more in mind when I was on mushrooms, and now I can't think of all the ideas that I had going on. Um, but I do have an idea. Or actually, I had a listener give me an idea for a podcast. And I think I'm probably going to do it here off camera so I could focus more on what the idea is. Because being on a live stream is so kind of self-conscious, making sure everybody can hear me, everybody can see me, um, making sure I'm not losing signal or that something doesn't drop or something just doesn't accidentally go wrong. Um, and at the same time, I could do this in the middle of the night when no one's up and driving around and making noise or people walking their dog that I can hear talking to somebody. Um, hopefully that doesn't pull up or come through on the audio podcast because that's going to be fun trying to clean that up in post. But in any case, thanks for making it out. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Till next time. I love you. Vessels.